It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Benito Sereno, Part 3 here an involuntary expression came over the Spaniard, similar to that just before on the deck, and whether it was the start he gave, or a sudden gawky roll of the hull in the calm, or a momentary unsteadiness of the servant's hand, however it was, just then the razor drew blood, spots of which stained the creamy lather under the throat. Immediately the black barber drew back his steel and, remaining in his professional attitude, back to Captain Delano, and face to Don Benito, held up the trickling razor, saying, with a sort of half-humorous sorrow, "'See, master, you shook so. Here's Babo's first blood.' No sword drawn before James I of England, no assassination in that timid king's presence could have produced a more terrified aspect than was now presented by Don Benito. Poor fellow, thought Captain Delano, so nervous he can't even bear the sight of Barber's blood, and this unstrung, sick man, is it credible that I should have imagined he meant to spill all my blood, who can't endure the sight of one little drop of his own? Surely, Amasa Delano, you have been beside yourself this day. Tell it not when you get home, sappy Amasa. Well, well, he looks like a murderer, doesn't he? More like as if himself were to be done for. Well, well, this day's experience shall be a good lesson. Meantime, while these things were running through the honest seaman's mind, the servant had taken the napkin from his arm, and to Don Benito had said, But answer, Don Massa, please, master, while I wipe this ugly stuff off the razor and strop it again. As he said the words, his face was turned half round, so as to be alike visible to the Spaniard and the American, and seemed, by its expression, to hint that he was desirous, by getting his master to go on with the conversation, considerately to withdraw his attention from the recent annoying accident. As if glad to snatch the offered relief, Don Benito resumed, rehearsing to Captain Delano that not only were the calms of unusual duration, but the ship had fallen in with 
obstinate currents, and other things he added, some of which were but repetitions of former statements, to explain how it came to pass that the passage from Cape Horn to Santa Maria had been so exceedingly long. Now and then, mingling with his words, incidental praises, less qualified than before, to the blacks, for their general good conduct. These particulars were not given consecutively, the servant at convenient times using his razor, and so, between the intervals of shaving, the story and panegyric went on with more than usual huskiness. To Captain Delano's imagination, now and again not wholly at rest, there was something so hollow in the Spaniard's manner, with apparently some reciprocal hollowness in the servant's dusky comment of silence, that the idea flashed across him that possibly master and man, for some unknown purpose, were acting out, both in word and deed, nay, to the very tremor of Don Benito's limbs, some juggling play before him. Neither did the suspicion of collusion lack apparent support from the fact of those whispered conferences before mentioned. But then, what could be the object of enacting this play of the barber before him? At last, regarding the notion as a whimsy, insensibly suggested, perhaps, by the theatrical aspect of Don Benito in his Harlequin ensign, Captain Delano speedily banished it. The shaving over, the servant bestirred himself with a small bottle of scented waters, pouring a few drops on the head, and then diligently rubbing the vehemence of the exercise causing the muscles of his face to twitch rather strangely. His next operation was with comb, scissors, and brush, going round and round, smoothing a curl here, clipping an unruly whisker hair there, giving a graceful sweep to the temple lock, with other impromptu touches evincing the hand of a master. While, like any resigned gentleman in barber's hands, Don Benito bore all, much less uneasily, at least, than he had done the razoring. Indeed, he sat so pale and rigid now that the negro seemed a Nubian sculptor finishing off a white statue-head. All being over, at last, the standard of Spain removed, tumbled up, and tossed back into the flag-locker, the negro's warm breath blowing away any stray hair which might have lodged down his master's neck, collar and cravat readjusted, a speck of lint whisked off the velvet lapel, all this being done, backing off a little space, and pausing with an expression of subdued self-complacency, the servant for a moment surveyed his master as, in toilet at least, the creature of his own tasteful hands. Captain Delano playfully complimented him upon his achievement, at the same time congratulating Don Benito but neither sweet waters, nor shampooing, nor fidelity, nor sociality delighted the Spaniard. Seeing him relapsing into forbidding gloom, and still remaining seated, Captain Delano, thinking that his presence was undesired just then, withdrew on pretense of seeing whether, as he had prophesied, any signs of a breeze were visible. Walking forward to the mainmast, he stood a while thinking over the scene, and not without some undefined misgivings, when he heard a noise near the cuddy, and turning saw the negro his hand to his cheek. Advancing, Captain Delano perceived that the cheek was bleeding. He was about to ask the cause when the negro's wailing soliloquy enlightened him. "'Ah, 
when will master get better from his sickness only the sour heart that sour sickness breeds made him serve babo so cutting babo with a razor because only by accident babo had given master one little scratch and for the first time in so many a day too ah, 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 holding his hand to his face is it possible thought captain delano was it to wreak in private his spanish spite against this poor friend of his that don benito by his sullen manner impelled me to withdraw ah this slavery breeds ugly passions in man poor fellow he was about to speak in sympathy to the negro but with a timid reluctance he now re-entered the cuddy presently master and man came forth don benito leaning on his servant as if nothing had happened but a sort of love quarrel after all thought captain delano he accosted don benito and they slowly walked together they had gone but a few paces when the steward a tall rajah-looking mulatto orientally set off with a pagoda turban formed by three or four madras handkerchiefs wound about his head tier on tier approaching with a salam announced lunch in the cabin on their way thither the two captains were preceded by the mulatto who turning round as he advanced with continual smiles and bows ushered them on a display of elegance which quite completed the insignificance of the small bare-headed babo who as if not unconscious of inferiority eyed askance the graceful steward but in part captain delano imputed his jealous watchfulness to that peculiar feeling which the full-blooded african entertains for the adulterated one as for the steward his manner if not bespeaking much dignity of self-respect yet evidenced his extreme desire to please which is doubly meritorious as at once christian and chesterfieldian captain delano observed with interest that while the complexion of the mulatto was hybrid his physiognomy was european classically so don benito whispered he i am glad to see this usher of the golden rod of yours the sight refutes an ugly remark once made to me by a barbados planter that when a mulatto has a regular european face look out for him he is a devil but see your steward here has features more regular than king george's of england and yet there he nods and bows and smiles a king indeed the king of kind hearts and polite fellows what a pleasant voice he has too he has senor but tell me has he not so far as you have known him always proved a good worthy fellow said captain delano pausing while with a final genuflection the steward disappeared into the cabin come for the reason just mentioned i am curious to know francesco is a good man a sort of sluggishly responded don benito like a phlegmatic appreciator who would neither find fault nor flatter ah i thought so for it were strange indeed and not very creditable to us white skins if a little of our blood mixed with the africans should far from improving the latter's quality have the sad effect of pouring vitriolic acid into black broth improving the hue perhaps but not the wholesomeness doubtless doubtless senor but glancing at babo not to speak of negroes your planter's remark i have heard applied to the spanish 
and Indian intermixtures in our provinces, but I know nothing about the matter, he listlessly added. And here they entered the cabin. The lunch was a frugal one. Some of Captain Delano's fresh fish and pumpkins, biscuit and salt beef, the reserved bottle of cider, and the San Dominic's last bottle of canary. As they entered, Francesco, with two or three colored aides, was hovering over the table giving the last adjustments. Upon perceiving their master, they withdrew, Francesco making a smiling congé, and the Spaniard, without condescending to notice it, fastidiously remarking to his companion that he relished not superfluous attendance. Without companions, host and guest sat down, like a childless married couple, at opposite ends of the table, Don Benito waving Captain Delano to his place, and, weak as he was, insisting upon that gentleman being seated before himself. The negro placed a rug under Don Benito's feet and a cushion behind his back, and then stood behind, not his master's chair, but Captain Delano's. At first this a little surprised the latter, but it was soon evident that in taking his position the black was still true to his master, since by facing him he could the more readily anticipate his slightest want. "'This is an uncommonly intelligent fellow of yours, Don Benito,' whispered Captain Delano across the table. "'You say true, senor.' During the repast the guest again reverted to parts of Don Benito's story, begging further particulars here and there. He inquired how it was that the scurvy and fever should have committed such wholesale havoc upon the whites while destroying less than half of the blacks. As if this question reproduced the whole scene of plague before the Spaniard's eyes, miserably reminding him of his solitude in a cabin where, before he had had so many friends and officers round him, his hand shook, his face became hueless, broken words escaped. But directly the sane memory of the past seemed replaced by insane terrors of the present. With starting eyes he stared before him at vacancy, for nothing was to be seen but the hand of his servant pushing the canary over towards him. At length a few sips served partially to restore him. He made random reference to the different constitutions of races, enabling one to offer more resistance to certain maladies than another. The thought was new to his companion. Presently Captain Delano, intending to say something to his host concerning the pecuniary part of the business he had undertaken for him, especially, since he was strictly accountable to his owners, with reference to the new suit of sails and other things of that sort, and naturally preferring to conduct such affairs in private, was desirous that the servant should withdraw, imagining that Don Benito, for a few minutes, could dispense with his attendance. He, however, waited a while, thinking that, as the conversation proceeded, Don Benito, without being prompted, would perceive the propriety of the step. But it was otherwise. At last, catching his host's eye, Captain Delano, with a slight backward gesture of his thumb, whispered, Don Benito, pardon me, but there is an interference with the full expression of what I have to say to you. Upon this the Spaniard changed countenance, which was imputed to his resenting the hint, as in some way a reflection upon his servant. After a moment's pause 
he assured his guest that the blacks remaining with them could be of no disservice, because since losing his officers he had made Babo, whose original office, it now appeared, had been captain of the slaves, not only his constant attendant and companion, but in all things his confidant. After this nothing more could be said, though indeed Captain Delano could hardly avoid some little tinge of irritation upon being left ungratified in so inconsiderable a wish by one, two, for whom he intended such solid services. But it is only his carelessness, thought he, and so filling his glass he proceeded to business. The price of the sales and other matters was fixed upon, but while this was being done the American observed that, though his original offer of assistance had been hailed with hectic animation, yet now when it was reduced to a business transaction, indifference and apathy were betrayed. Don Benito, in fact, appeared to submit to hearing the details more out of regard to common propriety than from any impression that weighty benefit to himself and his voyage was involved. Soon his manner became still more reserved. The effort was vain to seek to draw him into social talk. Gnawed by his splenetic mood, he sat twitching his beard, while to little purpose the hand of his servant, mute as that on the wall, slowly pushed over the canary. Lunch being over, they sat down on the cushioned transom, the servant placing a pillow behind his master. The long continuance of the calm had now affected the atmosphere. Don Benito sighed heavily, as if for breath. "'Why not adjourn to the cuddy?' said Captain Delano. "'There is more air there.' But the host sat silent and motionless. Meantime his servant knelt before him with a large fan of feathers, and Francesco, coming in on tiptoes, handed the negro a little cup of aromatic waters with which, at intervals, he chafed his master's brow, smoothing the hair along the temples as a nurse does a child's. He spoke no word. He only rested his eye on his master's, as if, amid all Don Benito's distress, a little to refresh his spirit by the silent sight of fidelity. Presently the ship's bell sounded two o'clock, and through the cabin windows a slight rippling of the sea was discerned, and from the desired direction. "'There!' exclaimed Captain Delano. "'I told you so, Don Benito. Look!' He had risen to his feet, speaking in a very animated tone, with a view the more to rouse his companion. But though the crimson curtain of the stern window near him that moment fluttered against his pale cheek, Don Benito seemed to have even less welcome for the breeze than the calm. "'Poor fellow,' thought Captain Delano. Bitter experiences taught him that one ripple does not make a wind any more than one swallow a summer. But he is mistaken for once. I will get his ship in for him and prove it. Briefly alluding to his weak condition, he urged his host to remain quietly where he was, since he, Captain Delano, would with pleasure take upon himself the responsibility of making the best use of the wind. Upon gaining the deck, Captain Delano started at the unexpected figure of Atafal, monumentally fixed at the threshold, like one of those sculptured porters of black marble guarding the porches of Egyptian tombs. But this time the start was perhaps purely physical. 
Atafal's presence, singularly attesting docility even in sullenness, was contrasted with that of the hatchet-polishers who in patience evidenced their industry. While both spectacles showed that lax as Don Benito's general authority might be, still, whenever he chose to exert it, no man so savage or colossal but must, more or less, bow. Snatching a trumpet which hung from the bulwarks with a free step, Captain Delano advanced to the forward edge of the poop, issuing his orders in his best Spanish. The few sailors and many negroes, all equally pleased, obediently set about heading the ship towards the harbor. While giving some directions about setting a lower stunnel sail, suddenly Captain Delano heard a voice faithfully repeating his orders. Turning, he saw Babbo, now for the first time acting, under the pilot, his original part of captain of the slaves. This assistance proved valuable. Tattered sails and warped yards were soon brought into some trim, and no brace or halyard was pulled but to the blithe songs of the inspirited negroes. Good fellows, thought Captain Delano, a little training would make fine sailors of them. Why, see, the very women pull and sing, too. There must be some of those Ashanti negresses that make such capital soldiers, I've heard. But who's at the helm? I must have a good hand there. He went to sea. The San Dominique steered with a cumbrous tiller, with large horizontal pulleys attached. At each pulley-end stood a subordinate black, and between them, at the tiller head, the responsible post. A Spanish seaman, whose countenance evinced his due share in the general hopefulness and confidence at the coming of the breeze. He proved the same man who had behaved with so shamefaced an air on the windlass. "'Ah, it is you, my man!' exclaimed Captain Delano. "'Well, no more sheep's eyes now. Look straight forward and keep the ship so. Good hand, I trust. And want to get into the harbor, don't you?' The man assented with an inward chuckle grasping the tiller-head firmly. Upon this, unperceived by the American, the two blacks eyed the sailor intently. Finding all right at the helm, the pilot went forward to the forecastle to see how matters stood there. The ship now had way enough to breast the current. With the approach of evening the breeze would be sure to freshen. Having done all that was needed for the present, Captain Delano, giving his last orders to the sailors, turned aft to report affairs to Don Benito in the cabin, perhaps additionally incited to rejoin him by the hope of snatching a moment's private chat while the servant was engaged upon deck. From opposite sides there were, beneath the poop, two approaches to the cabin, one further forward than the other, and consequently communicating with a longer passage. Marking the servant still above, Captain Delano, taking the nighest entrance, the one last named, and at whose porch Atiful still stood, hurried on his way till, arrived at the cabin threshold, he paused an instant, a little to recover from his eagerness. Then, with the words of his intended business upon his lips, he entered. As he advanced toward the seated Spaniard, he heard another footstep, keeping time with his. From the opposite door, a salver in hand, the servant was likewise advancing. "'Confound the faithful fellow,' thought Captain Delano. "'What a vexatious coincidence!' Possibly the vexation might have been something different, were it not for the brisk confidence inspired by the breeze. 
but even as it was he felt a slight twinge from a sudden indefinite association in his mind of Babo with Atiful. Don Benito, said he, I give you joy. The breeze will hold and will increase. By the way, your tall man and timepiece Atiful stands without. By your order, of course. Don Benito recoiled, as if at some bland satirical touch, delivered with such adroit garnish of apparent good breeding as to present no handle for retort. He is like one flayed alive, thought Captain Delano. Where may one touch him without causing a shrink? The servant moved before his master, adjusting a cushion, recalled to civility. The Spaniard stiffly replied, You are right. The slave appears where you saw him, according to my command, which is that if at the given hour I am below, he must take his stand and abide my coming. Ah, now, pardon me, but that is treating the poor fellow like an ex-king indeed. Ah, Don Benito, smiling, for all the license you permit in some things I fear lest at bottom you are a bitter hard master. Again Don Benito shrank, and this time, as the good sailor thought, from a genuine twinge of his conscience. Again conversation became constrained. In vain Captain Delano called attention to the now perceptible motion of the keel gently cleaving the sea. With lackluster eye, Don Benito returned words few and reserved. By and by the wind, having steadily risen and still blowing right into the harbor, bore the San Dominique swiftly on. Sounding a point of land, the sealer at distance came into open view. Meantime Captain Delano had again repaired to the deck, remaining there some time. Having at last altered the ship's course so as to give the reef a wide berth, he returned for a few moments below. "'I will cheer up my poor friend this time,' thought he. "'Better and better, Don Benito,' he cried as he blithely re-entered. "'There will soon be an end to your cares, at least for a while. For when, after a long sad voyage, you know, the anchor drops into the haven, all its vast weight seems lifted from the captain's heart. We are getting on famously, Don Benito. My ship is in sight. Look through this side-light here. There she is, all a tanto. The bachelor's delight, my good friend. Ah, how this wind braces one up. Come, you must take a cup of coffee with me this evening. My old steward will give you as fine a cup as ever any sultan tasted. What say you, Don Benito, will you? At first the Spaniard glanced feverishly up, casting a longing look towards the sealer, while with mute concern his servant gazed into his face. Suddenly the old ague of coldness returned, and dropping back to his cushions he was silent. "'You do not answer. Come, all day you have been my host. Would you have hospitality all on one side?' "'I cannot go,' was the response. "'What? It will not fatigue you. The ships will lie together as near as they can, without swinging fowl. It will be little more than stepping from deck to deck, which is but as from room to room. Come, come, you must not refuse me. I cannot go, decisively and repulsively repeated Don Benito. Renouncing all but the last appearance of courtesy with a sort of cadaverous sullenness, and biting his thin nails to the quick, he glanced, almost glared, at his guest, 
as if impatient that a stranger's presence should interfere with the full indulgence of his morbid hour. Meantime the sound of the parted waters came more and more gurglingly and merrily into the windows, as reproaching him for his... Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chum. Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Dark Spleen has telling him that sulk as he might and go mad with it nature cared not a jot since whose fault was it pray? But the foul mood was now at its depth, as the fair wind at its height. There was something in the man so far beyond any mere unsociality or sourness previously evinced, that even the forbearing good nature of his guest could no longer endure it. Wholly at a loss to account for such demeanor, and deeming sickness with eccentricity, however extreme, no adequate excuse, well satisfied, too, that nothing in his own conduct could justify it, Captain Delano's pride began to be roused, himself became reserved. But all seemed one to the Spaniard. Quitting him, therefore, Captain Delano once more went to the deck. The ship was now within less than two miles of the sealer. The whale-boat was seen darting over the interval. To be brief, the two vessels, thanks to the pilot's skill, ere long neighborly style lay anchored together. Before returning to his own vessel, Captain Delano had intended communicating to Don Benito the smaller details of the proposed services to be rendered, but as it was unwilling anew to subject himself to rebuffs, he resolved, now that he had seen the San Dominique safely moored, immediately to quit her without further allusion to hospitality or business. Indefinitely postponing his ulterior plans, he would regulate his future actions according to future circumstances. His boat was ready to receive him, but his host still tarried below. Well, thought Captain Delano, if he has little breeding, the more need to show mine. He descended to the cabin to bid a ceremonious and, it may be, tacitly rebukeful adieu. But, to his great satisfaction, Don Benito, as if he began to feel the weight of that treatment with which his slighted guest had not indecorously retaliated upon him, now supported by his servant, rose to his feet, and grasping Captain Delano's hand, stood tremulous, too much agitated to speak. But the good augury hence drawn was suddenly dashed, by his resuming all his previously reserve, with augmented gloom, as, with half-averted eyes, he silently reseated himself on his cushions. With a corresponding return of his own chilled feelings, Captain Delano bowed and withdrew.
He was hardly midway in the narrow corridor, dim as a tunnel, leading from the cabin to the stairs, when a sound, as of the tolling for execution in some jail-yard, fell on his ears. It was the echo of the ship's flawed bell, striking the hour, drearily reverberated in this subterranean vault. Instantly, by a fatality not to be withstood, his mind, responsive to the portend, swarmed with superstitious suspicions. He paused. In images far swifter than these sentences, the minutest details of all his former distrusts swept through him. Hitherto, credulous good nature had been too ready to furnish excuses for reasonable fears. Why was the Spaniard, so superfluously punctilious at times, now heedless of common propriety in not accompanying to the side his departing guest? Did indisposition forbid? Indisposition had not forbidden more irksome exertion that day. His last equivocal demeanor recurred. He had risen to his feet, grasped his guest's hand, motioned toward his hat, then, in an instant, all was eclipsed in sinister muteness and gloom. Did this imply one brief, repentant relenting at the final moment from some iniquitous plot, followed by remorseless return to it? His last glance seemed to express a calamitous, yet acquiescent, farewell to Captain Delano forever. Why decline the invitation to visit the sealer that evening? Or was the Spaniard less hardened than the Jew, who refrained not from supping at the board of him whom the same night he meant to betray? What imported all those day-long enigmas and contradictions, except they were intended to mystify, preliminary to some stealthy blow? Attiful, the pretended rebel, but punctual shadow, that moment lurked by the threshold without. He seemed a century, and more. Who, by his own confession, had stationed him there? Was the negro now lying in wait? The Spaniard behind, his creature before, to rush from darkness to light was the involuntary choice. The next moment, with clenched jaw and hand, he passed Attiful and stood unharmed in the light. As he saw his trim ship lying peacefully at anchor, and almost within ordinary call, as he saw his household boat, with familiar faces in it, patiently rising and falling on the short waves by the San Dominic's side, and then, glancing about the decks where he stood, saw the oakum-pickers still gravely plying their fingers, and heard the low, buzzing whistle and industrious hum of the hatchet-polishers, still bestirring themselves over their endless occupation, and, more than all, as he saw the benign aspect of nature, taking her innocent repose in the evening, the screened sun in the quiet camp of the west shining out like the mild light from Abraham's tent, as charmed eye and ear took in all these, with the chained figure of the black, clenched jaw and hand relaxed. Once again he smiled at the phantoms which had mocked him, and felt something like a tinge of remorse, that by harboring them even for a moment he should by implication have betrayed an atheist doubt of the ever-watchful providence above. There was a few minutes' delay while, in obedience to his orders, the boat was being hooked along to the gangway. During this interval a sort of saddened satisfaction stole over Captain Delano, 
at thinking of the kindly offices he had that day discharged for a stranger. Ah, thought he, after good actions one's conscience is never ungrateful, however much so the benefited party may be. Presently his foot, in the first act of descent into the boat, pressed the first round of the side-ladder, his face presented inward upon the deck. In the same moment he heard his name courteously sounded, and to his pleased surprise saw Don Benito advancing, an unwanted energy in his air, as if, at the last moment, intent upon making amends for his recent discourtesy. With instinctive good feeling, Captain Delano, withdrawing his foot, turned and reciprocally advanced. As he did so, the Spaniard's nervous eagerness increased, but his vital energy failed, so that, the better to support him, the servant, placing his master's hand on his naked shoulder and gently holding it there, formed himself into a sort of crutch. When the two captains met, the Spaniard again fervently took the hand of the American, at the same time casting an earnest glance into his eyes, but, as before, too much overcome to speak. I have done him wrong, self-reproachfully thought Captain Delano. His apparent coldness has deceived me. In no instance has he meant to offend. Meantime, as if fearful that the continuance of the scene might too much unstring his master, the servant seemed anxious to terminate it, and so, still presenting himself as a crutch and walking between the two captains, he advanced with them towards the gangway, while still, as if full of kindly contrition, Don Benito would not let go the hand of Captain Delano, but retained it in his across the black's body. Soon they were standing by the side, looking over into the boat, whose crew turned up their curious eyes. Waiting a moment for the Spaniard to relinquish his hold, the now embarrassed Captain Delano lifted his foot to overstep the threshold of the open gangway. But still Don Benito would not let go his hand. And yet, with an agitated tone, he said, I can go no further. Here I must bid you adieu. Adieu, my dear, dear Don Amasa. Go, go suddenly tearing his hand loose, go, and God guard you better than me, my best friend. Not unaffected, Captain Delano would now have lingered, but catching the meekly admonitory eye of the servant with a hasty farewell he descended into his boat, followed by the continual adieus of Don Benito, standing rooted in the gangway. Seating himself in the stern, Captain Delano, making a last salute, ordered the boat shoved off. The crew had their oars on end. The bowsmen pushed the boat a sufficient distance for the oars to be lengthwise dropped. The instant that was done, Don Benito sprang over the bulwarks, falling at the feet of Captain Delano, at the same time calling towards his ship, but in tones so frenzied that none in the boat could understand him. But as if not equally obtuse, three sailors, from different and distant parts of the ship, splashed into the sea, swimming after their captain as if intent upon his rescue. The dismayed officer of the boat eagerly asked what this meant, to which Captain Delano, turning a disdainful smile upon the unaccountable Spaniard, answered that, for his part, he neither knew nor cared. But it seemed as if Don Benito had taken it into his head to produce the impression among his people that the boat wanted to kidnap him, or else 
give way for your lives, he wildly added, starting at a clattering hubbub in the ship, above which rang the tocsin of the hatchet-polishers, and seizing Don Benito by the throat, he added, This plotting pirate means murder. Here, in apparent verification of the words, the servant, a dagger in his hand, was seen on the rail overhead, poised in the act of leaping, as if with desperate fidelity to befriend his master to the last. While seemingly to aid the black, the three white sailors were trying to clamber into the hampered bow. Meantime, the whole host of negroes, as if inflamed at the sight of their jeopardized captain, impended in one sooty avalanche over the bulwarks. All this, with what preceded and what followed, occurred with such involutions of rapidity that past, present, and future seemed one. Seeing the negro coming, Captain Delano had flung the Spaniard aside, almost in the very act of clutching him, and, by the unconscious recoil, shifting his place, with arms thrown up, so promptly grappled the servant in his descent, that with dagger presented at Captain Delano's heart, the black seemed of purpose to have leapt there as to his mark. But the weapon was wrenched away, and the assailant dashed down into the bottom of the boat, which now, with disentangled oars, began to speed through the sea. At this juncture the left hand of Captain Delano on one side again clutched the half-reclined Don Benito, heedless that he was in a speechless faint, while his right foot on the other side ground the prostrate negro, and his right arm pressed for added speed on the after-oar, his eye bent forward, encouraging his men to their utmost. But here the officer of the boat, who had at last succeeded in beating off the towing sailors, and was now, with face turned aft, assisting the bowsman at his oar, suddenly called to Captain Delano to see what the black was about, while a Portuguese oarsman shouted to him to give heed to what the Spaniard was saying. Glancing down at his feet, Captain Delano saw the freed hand of the servant aiming with a second dagger, a small one, before concealing it in his wool. With this he was snakishly writhing up from the boat's bottom at the heart of his master, his countenance lividly vindictive, expressing the centered purpose of his soul, while the Spaniard, half-choked, was vainly shrinking away with husky words incoherent to all but the Portuguese. That moment, across the long-benighted mind of Captain Delano, a flash of revelation swept, illuminating in an unanticipated clearness his host's whole mysterious demeanor, with every enigmatic event of the day, as well as the entire past voyage of the San Dominique. He smote Babo's hand down, but his own heart smote him harder. With infinite pity he withdrew his hold from Don Benito. Not Captain Delano, but Don Benito the Black, in leaping into the boat, had intended to stab. Both the Black's hands were held, as, glancing up towards the San Dominique, Captain Delano, now with scales dropped from his eyes, saw the negroes, not in misrule, not in tumult, not as if frantically concerned for Don Benito, but with mask torn away, flourishing hatchets and knives, in ferocious piratical revolt. Like delirious black dervishes, the six Ashantis danced on the poop. Prevented by their foes from springing into the water, the Spanish boys were hurrying up to the topmost spars, 
while such of the few Spanish sailors not already in the sea, less alert, were descried, helplessly mixed in, on deck, with the blacks. Meantime Captain Delano hailed his own vessel, ordering the ports up and the guns run out. But by this time the cable of the San Dominic had been cut, and the fag-end, in lashing out, whipped away the canvas shroud about the beak, suddenly revealing, as the bleached hull swung round towards the open ocean, death for the figurehead, in a human skeleton. Chalky comment on the chalked words below, follow your leader. At the sight, Don Benito, covering his face, wailed out, "'Tis he, Aranda, my murdered, unburied friend!" Upon reaching the sealer, calling for ropes, Captain Delano bound the negro, who made no resistance, and had him hoisted to the deck. He would then have assisted the now almost helpless Don Benito up the side, but Don Benito, wan as he was, refused to move or be moved until the negro should have been first put below, out of view. When presently assured that it was done, he no more shrank from the ascent. The boat was immediately dispatched back to pick up the three swimming sailors. Meantime the guns were in readiness, though, owing to the San Dominic having glided somewhat astern of the sealer, only the aftermost one could be brought to bear. With this they fired six times, thinking to cripple the fugitive ship by bringing down her spars, but only a few inconsiderable ropes were shot away. Soon the ship was beyond the gun's range, steering broad out of the bay. The blacks thickly clustered round the bowsprit, one moment with taunting cries towards the whites, the next with upthrown gestures, hailing the now dusky moors of the ocean, cawing crows escaped from the hand of the fowler. The first impulse was to slip the cables and give chase, but upon second thoughts to pursue with whale-boat and yawl seemed more promising. Upon inquiring of Don Benito what firearms they had on board the San Dominique, Captain Delano was answered that they had none that could be used, because in the earlier stages of the mutiny a cabin passenger, since dead, had secretly put out of order the locks of what few muskets there were. But with all his remaining strength Don Benito entreated the American not to give chase, either with ship or boat, for the negroes had already proved themselves such desperadoes that in case of a present assault nothing but a total massacre of the whites could be looked for. But regarding this warning as coming from one whose spirit had been crushed by misery, the American did not give up his design. The boats were got ready and armed. Captain Delano ordered his men into them. He was going himself when Don Benito grasped his arm. "'What? Have you saved my life, senor, and are you now going to throw away your own?' The officers also, for reasons connected with their interests and those of the voyage, and a duty owing to the owners, strongly objected against their commander's going. Weighing their remonstrances a moment, Captain Delano felt bound to remain. Appointing his chief mate, an athletic and resolute man who had been a privateer's man, to head the party. The more to encourage the sailors, they were told that the Spanish captain considered his ship good as lost, that she and her cargo, including some gold and silver, were worth more than a thousand doubloons. Take her, and no small part should be theirs. 
the sailors replied with a shout. The fugitives had now almost gained an offing. It was nearly night, but the moon was rising. After hard, prolonged pulling, the boats came up on the ship's quarters, at a suitable distance laying upon their oars to discharge their muskets. Having no bullets to return, the negroes sent their yells, but upon the second volley, Indian-like, they hurtled their hatchets. One took off a sailor's fingers, another struck the whaleboat's bow, cutting off the rope there, and remaining stuck in the gunwale, like a woodman's axe. Snatching it, quivering from its lodgment, the mate hurled it back. The return gauntlet now struck the ship's broken quarter-gallery, and so remained. The negroes giving too hot a reception, the whites kept a more respectful distance. Hovering now just out of reach of the hurtling hatchets, they, with a view to the close encounter which must soon come, sought to decoy the blacks into entirely disarming themselves of their most murderous weapons in a hand-to-hand -hand fight, by foolishly flinging them as missiles, short of the mark, into the sea. But ere long, perceiving the stratagem, the negroes desisted, though not before many of them had to replace their lost hatchets with handspikes, an exchange which, as counted upon, proved in the end favorable to the assailants. Meantime, with a strong wind, the ship still clove the water, the boats alternately falling behind and pulling up to discharge fresh volleys. The fire was mostly directed towards the stern, since there, chiefly, the negroes at present were clustering. But to kill or maim the negroes was not the object. To take them with the ship was the object. To do it, the ship must be boarded, which could not be done by boats while she was sailing so fast. A thought now struck the mate. Observing the Spanish boys still aloft, high as they could get, he called to them to descend to the yards and cut adrift the sails. It was done. About this time, owing to causes hereafter to be shown, two Spaniards, in the dress of sailors, and conspicuously showing themselves, were killed, not by volleys, but by deliberate marksman's shots, while, as it afterwards appeared, by one of the general discharges, Atiful the black, and the Spaniard at the helm likewise were killed. What now, with the loss of the sails and loss of leaders, the ship became unmanageable to the negroes. With creaking masts she came heavily round to the wind, the prow slowly swinging into view of the boats, its skeleton gleaming in the horizontal moonlight, and casting a gigantic ribbed shadow upon the water. One extended arm of the ghost seemed beckoning the whites to avenge it. "'Follow your leader!' cried the mate and one on each bow, the boats boarded. Sealing spears and cutlasses crossed hatchets and handspikes. Huddled upon the longboat amidships, the negresses raised a wailing chant whose chorus was the clash of the steel. For a time the attack wavered, the negroes wedging themselves to beat it back, the half-repelled sailors, as yet unable to gain a footing, fighting as troopers in the saddle, one leg sideways flung over the bulwarks, and one without plying their cutlasses like carters' whips. But in vain they were almost overborne, when, rallying themselves into a squad as one man with a huzzah, they sprang inboard, where, entangled, they involuntarily separated again. 
For a few breaths' space there was a vague, muffled inner sound, as of submerged swordfish rushing hither and thither through shoals of blackfish. Soon, in a reunited band, and joined by the Spanish seamen, the whites came to the surface, irresistibly driving the negroes toward the stern. But a barricade of casks and sacks from side to side had been thrown up by the main mast. Here the negroes faced about, and though scorning peace or truce, yet fain would have had respite. But without pause, overleaping the barrier, the unflagging sailors again closed. Exhausted, the blacks now fought in despair. Their red tongues lolled, wolf-like, from their black mouths. But the pale sailors' teeth were set. Not a word was spoken, and in five minutes more the ship was won. Nearly a score of the negroes were killed. Exclusive of those by the balls, many were mangled. Their wounds, mostly inflicted by the long-edged sealing spears, resembling those shaven ones of the English at Preston Pans, made by the pulled scythes of the Highlanders. On the other side, none were killed, though several were wounded, some severely, including the mate. The surviving negroes were temporarily secured, and the ship, towed back into the harbor at midnight, once more lay anchored. Omitting the incidents and arrangements ensuing, Syphit that, after two days spent in refitting, the ships sailed in company for Concepcion, in Chile, and thence for Lima, in Peru, where, before the vice-regal courts, the whole affair from the beginning underwent investigation. Though midway on the passage, the ill-fated Spaniard, relaxed from constraint, showed some signs of regaining health with free will, yet, agreeably to his own foreboding, shortly before arriving at Lima he relapsed, finally becoming so reduced as to be carried ashore in arms. Hearing of his story and plight, one of the many religious institutions of the City of Kings opened an hospitable refuge to him, where both physician and priest were his nurses, and a member of the order volunteered to be his one special guardian and consular by night and by day. The following extracts, translated from one of the official Spanish documents, will, it is hoped, shed light on the preceding narrative, as well as, in the first place, reveal the true port of departure and true history of the San Dominic's voyage, down to the time of her touching at the island of Santa Maria. But ere the extracts come, it may be well to preface them with a remark. The document selected, from among many others, for partial translation, contains the deposition of Benito Sereno, the first taken in the case. Some disclosures therein were, at the time, held dubious for both learned and natural reasons. The tribunal inclined to the opinion that the deponent, not undisturbed in his mind by recent events, raved of some things which could never have happened. But subsequent depositions of the surviving sailors, bearing out the revelations of their captain in several of the strangest particulars, gave credence to the rest, so that the tribunal, in its final decision, rested its capital sentences upon statements which, had they lacked confirmation, it would have deemed it but duty to reject. End of section 6, chapter 3C, Benedito Sereno, part 3. Enrich your mind with sounds of knowledge from soulgoodbooks.com.
unlock access to a vast library of ad-free audiobooks for only $10 a month. Listen, learn, and grow at soulgoodbooks.com. Create a peaceful home with soulgoodsounds.com. Just $10 a month offers a sanctuary of ad-free sounds ideal for family relaxation and children's bedtime. Reclaim tranquility. Visit soulgoodsounds.com to start your journey to a calmer household.